I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is John Edward. Who is John Edward? Well, he's a psychic medium who claims to be able to communicate with people from beyond the grave. In fact, he's been so successful at it that he's made a living at it for close to 30 years and has two TV shows to show for it. Some might say he's the world's most famous modern psychic medium. sense that someone is listening to this podcast and might be sad. John Edward McGee Jr. was born October 9th, 1969. So, you know, he was going to have a spooky life. Edward's father was an Irish-American police officer and his mother was an Italian-American office worker. He was raised Roman Catholic, but stopped practicing his faith not long after he had entered his teens. However, by the time he was 15, Edward was convinced by a woman that he had the ability to become a psychic medium. In a 2002 interview, he's quoted as saying, She told me things that there is no way she could have known. And the first part of the reading was that this was the path that I was supposed to be on, and that I was supposed to be a teacher and help people, and I thought she was nuts. She told me I would one day become internationally known for my psychic abilities through lectures, books, radio, and TV. I thought she was full of it until she started to tell me things no one in my life knew about. The details are unbelievable. That story definitely happened. It's not just bullshit. Mom, Dad, I met a lady, and she told me that I was going to be a, a famous psychic, and she knew all these details about my life. Oh, there, boy I love your little stories, but I have to go back to the precinct so I can catch me some criminals. And I have to go back to the office in order to type out the papers. Yeah, it's interesting how in a lot of these cases where there are people that have either purported extrasensory abilities or people who make a living on the kind of fringes of society uh, or hucksters and charlatans because there are there's a gamut, right? How the people that are they had to come up with some sort of like, I know I didn't even believe it at first either in order to kind of quell the doubt in the uh, in the audience. And then it's like. Yeah, but it, but it was so crazy that I had to pursue it. And now look at me. I have a show on ABC. Yeah, that's a, that's like a super common tactic. It's that it's that it's that layer of removal from the ridiculous thing. It's it's the it's the Jay-Z night thing that we talked about where uh the reason the 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 perp, the function of the of the compartmentalization of Jay-Z night from uh, Ramthes or whatever the entity that is that it resides in her is so she can be like a normal person and she could be like, yeah, I'm just a regular person. I think this is crazy, but like, I don't know. He just possesses me and then I become this other thing. Uh, whereas if she just walked around like that all the time, people would just think she was insane. I mean, a lot of people do think she's insane, but the, there would be very, there would be very little conversion of people who actually bought into what she was claiming. And then there's also that thing that, that I think a lot of people do, um, both in like, you know, hucksters and also like in the like financial, like get rich quick world where it's like, I thought this was crazy. The first time I heard about this, I, I thought the same thing as you. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was a scam. Um, but then it worked. Um, and as a matter of fact, I didn't even think about this when I just went on to this rant, but uh, I, I worked for like two years doing marketing for a, uh, a, a, a rental property loan firm. Um, and I, it's funny cause I was talking about this in the discord with a couple of people. Um, but, uh, I'm, I, I'm very much against, I, I think that like a lot of the real estate investment industry is just like a blight on humanity. Like people who like rent out like a bunch of houses or buy a bunch of houses up and then rent them out and they price like, you know, lower income families out of being able to afford homes. I think it's just like a horrible draconian industry. Um, but I but I worked I did marketing for a company like that for a couple of years because daddy needed the money. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, 
the they, the sales pitch that they had that we incorporated into a lot of the marketing was I know a lot of other people uh, that offer loans are are trying to scam you and the things that they're saying are bullshit but we're actually telling the truth like that's that was like their main selling point daddy needed the money <laughs> God, I wish this was a video podcast because your your facial expression on that was pretty solid. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's you know it's establishing a common baseline of skepticism that then you can kind of subvert in a well, I'm not the problem. Yes, there is a problem, but it's not here. This is a safe area. Despite what you might believe, it's not easy to make a name for yourself as a medium. So in order to pay the bills, much like our own Spapa Spicy, John Edward worked as a phlebotomist while working towards getting a healthcare administration degree from Long Island University. While attending there, he found a wife, Sandra, who was a student at a local dance studio that he was working at as a ballroom dancing instructor. Yes, that's right. Noted psychic John Edward was studying to be like the guy that checks you in at the orthodontist and also paying bills by sweeping them ladies off their feet. I really, I don't mean this to sound offensive to certain people. And I know there are plenty of people out there that work in this industry and are just completely normal and don't buy into these things. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just making an observation. But why do so many people that, that work in the working class of healthcare believe in crazy conspiracy shit and like weird paranormal bullshit? I've, it's just, I, I've noticed it's very common. You know, there's a lot on, on TikTok, there's a lot of nurses who are like really into QAnon shit and like anti-vax stuff. And there's been all these nurses who have been arrested for like intentionally contaminating vaccines and stealing them and throwing them away. And like, what is that? What is that phenomenon? I mean, fuck if I could tell you. I think there's maybe some sort of like cognitive dissonance of like, a certain percentage of the population believes that just like doctors understand things that they don't. They just doctors have scientific knowledge, so they know. And maybe nurses or people in that kind of like you're talking about working class of the medical field are like, no, we've seen behind the curtain. These motherfuckers don't know anything either, which then leads you down an existential pipeline of looking for answers in other places, you know. And I don't I don't mean to insult nurses like I have a lot of respect for nurses. They're they're incredibly hardworking. I, I have been through the process of having, you know, my wife giving birth to three children. And I would say that, like, of those hospital experiences, the nurses were like the rock stars of the entire thing. They were the people shepherding the whole thing, making everyone comfortable, taking care of my wife, all that stuff. I have the utmost respect for nurses. It's just an observation that I've made that it seems like people in working class healthcare are like particularly like into conspiracy theories and weird paranormal shit you say as we're doing a podcast about conspiracy theories and weird paranormal shit but like believing it. although i guess it's different because we're because we're more skeptical about it but yeah but all but, but all and, and also on on the other on the other hand um i've never met a ballroom dance instructor that hasn't tried to indoctrinate me into QAnon. every single one of them every single one Every single one of the one ballroom dancer that you've met has talked to you about QAnon. Um, all right, so we got some photos here of our boy John Edward McGee Jr., a.k.a. John Edward, noted psychic man about town. What do you think about John Edward? What do you? What, how would you describe him? What does this guy look like? John Edward looks like if you ever said a disparaging word about Breaking Benjamin, you would get a talking to. John Edward looks like the coolest guy at the... Every one of my friends has just gotten divorced luau. I mean, let's be honest. John Edward looks like Chris Hansen's about to come out of a room and be like, hello there. I don't know if he looks that lonely, but he does look like John Edward is trying to scrape up enough money to afford that back child support so he can go see his kids. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 John Edward is definitely locked into a custody battle for non-supervised visitation rights for his children. Uh, John Edward looks like a youth group leader who has aspirations of being a full pastor. I literally already said he looks like Chris Hansen's about to come out of a room. <laughs> John Edward looks like he smells like bacon. Yeah, he does. He smells like bacon and sandalwood. 
John Edwards looks like the type of guy who tried to be an undercover PI for like five minutes and then was like, this is too boring. I'm going to go pretend to be psychic. That probably is what he did. The, the ballroom instructor thing was actually probably his cover. Yeah, that was his, his deep cover. Yeah. And then he's like, this is fucking boring. I'm just literally teaching people how to dance. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about John Edward is like he looks like a fairly normal kind of run of the mill white dude who like probably goes to Costco on the weekends wearing board shorts. But when you listen to him talk, he's got this very rapid kind of intense, very specific speech pattern that is like a mix of youth group leader and like car salesman. Um, like he, he really sounds like when he asks you questions, he's not asking a question from curiosity. He's asking questions, waiting for a response that he can then blow through. And he also it has this very strange staccato speak like way of speaking um, that I'm sure actually helps him in the field in the same way that when you talk to a salesperson, they just get really intense and are like when they want something from you, it's a it's a it's, it can be a little off-putting even though everything that they're saying is technically like charming and fueled by charisma but there's just like a small percentage of unease you know yeah and it's it's funny you say that because it's like it's like the same hemisphere like the it's all like we talked about we talked about this in some recent episode i forget which one but talking about like con artists which are you know confidence men and how uh and how that what that is inherently is just about trying to convince people that you know what you're talking about to get something from them. And that's what essentially a spiritual medium is and does for a particular end, which is like monetizing this apparent skill that they have. And that's also like the same exact thing that like a used car salesman does. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like it's a it's a weird math equation, but it solves for the same emotional number. <laughs> a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, actually, because uh, Phoenix WK wasn't born yet, um, we went to we went on a trip to to Savannah, Georgia, that was basically predicated on a timeshare situation. We had to go to a timeshare seminar, and in exchange for going through the timeshare seminar, we got an expenses paid trip to Savannah, Georgia with like a hotel paid for and stuff. And uh, we sat through this timeshare and the guy who came in to do the pitch at the end of the seminar, at the end of the pitch, he started telling a story about how he had a friend who worked a lot and he would go on, he, him and his wife would go on vacation with his friend and his wife and their kids. And then one year he he was so busy because he had started a business and he was becoming very successful and he couldn't go on this vacation. And he ended up, him and his wife and the guy's wife and their kids ended up going on the vacation without him. He stayed and kept working. And then they went on the vacation and had fun. And then like shortly after that, he died. He had a heart attack or something like that. And he told this story and he basically wraps it up by being like, don't pass up the opportunity to spend time with your family and do things like go on vacations and things like that. And then he and then he cried a little bit. And then he and then he wrapped up the sales pitch. And I was like in awe because I was like, this guy does that every time. This guy does that and cries five times a day. And I I almost wanted to buy the timeshare just on principle of I was like, I got to hand it to you. Like you're a fucking master of your craft. That's some next level shit, um, but it's a, it's the same thing. It's the same shit. It's 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 the it's just the like it's mastering the art of convincing people that you're genuine when you aren't. Let's watch. Uh, let's watch some of this little interview guy here. John Edward, welcome to One Plus One. When you were a kid growing up on Long Island, New York, which was your favorite TV show? I'll give you a choice. Okay. Was it Bewitched? I Dream of Jeannie? The Adams Family? Or Doctor Who. I love how this uh, this uh, English woman said Long Island, New York, because nobody here, whatever, it's just it's Long. We know what that is. We know we know where that is. Yeah, but there's yeah yeah for real. Ginny. Really? Yes, it was I dream of Ginny to the point that I have now in my house one, two, three, four authentic Ginny bottles that are actually decorative. It's amazing. Like if you're a fan of the show, it's like you can actually have an authentic. Bottle, they have ones from different seasons. 
And yep, Dadger and Magini would be the show. What was it about that show that you really liked? The powers. She had magical powers. And I was very intrigued as a child by anything that was powers related. The Six Million Dollar Man, the Bionic Woman, um, anything that had ESP attached to it. Uh, Disney had a movie came out that was Escape from Witch Mountain or Return to Witch Mountain. I remember that was something that was, I was intrigued by anything that had powers related to it. And was that because you sensed in yourself that there was something there and you were trying to learn or was that escapism? I think part of it was I did identify with the coolness of like, wow, I want to be that, but you know, childlike, you know, that, that was on TV at the time. So I think I identify with that. But my mom and dad didn't have a great relationship and my dad had an alcohol problem. And there was some escapism when it came to television. So your parents didn't have this great relationship. No. I, I understand that they did eventually split up. They did. How old were you when that happened? 12, 13. 12 or 13. But you knew long before that that you had something in terms of seeing auras around people, maybe being able to transport yourself. Is that correct? I did. I had these kind of imaginative moments. I had these moments that were really creative in my head where I would I would explore um, what I was doing from a different perspective, even though I was up and awake, I would have this different perspective, almost like I was like looking down on myself and what I was doing. And I had like some out of body experiences that I just didn't know what they were. My dreams were very active. I had a lot of night terrors. I had some experiences that I couldn't understand as a child. Um, I, I would dream of a wolf quite often. Did you ever realize what it was you were dreaming about? No, it wasn't until I was in my 20s. Johnny, me boy, come sit down. We have something to talk to you about. Uh, yeah, yeah, what it is it, mom and dad? Well, me boy, oh, this isn't easy for me to say, but your mother and I, we've realized that our marriage isn't working, me boy, oh, and we're getting a divorce. Yes, uh, we have uh, been struggling with uh, these issues for very many years before you were ever born. We love you. And we just want you to know that this is not your fault and that it's the best thing for all of us. Plus, you get to the two Christmases. So the, <laughs> so the thing that's really interesting here... <laughs> God damn it. No, do not, do not gloss over this. Do not reject my vision. So... The thing that's really interesting about this, just for the record, we're going to go back and uh, watch a little bit towards the end of that interview in a second. Um, so the thing that's really interesting here is he basically just kind of still in character, still full kayfabe as John Edward, the psychic, uh, kind of gives his origin story, right? That's a really smart question from that uh, Australian interviewer, uh, ABC Australia or whatever it is. Oh, it's she's Australian. I said I said English earlier. Yeah, she's Australian. Yeah. Um but it basically gives you the codex to everything that's going on with him, right? Like, as a kid, he was obsessed with being special, having special powers. His parents get divorced. It fractures his identity and sense of safety. So he's like, I'm going to make myself into one of those characters that I love on 70s TV. Bionic man, bionic woman. I dream of genie. I'm going to be a psychic. And then, you know, John Edward McGee Jr., no, that's not a psychic's name. So he literally gives himself a new name, John Edward, develops a new persona that he's always had psychic abilities and this totally fake origin story that another medium says you have the gift. And then he spent 20 years, 30 years figuring out how to convince enough other people that he was psychic. Um, wait for it. Wait for it. You knew that this was coming, listener. You knew this was coming. Kayfabe, baby. Well, yeah, I... I I have two I have two things that I my reactions to watching that bit of the interview that I was going to ask you um or one of the things I was going to ask you and one of the other things was an observation. Number 1 um it's kind of fun. number 1 what percentage of that whole whenever I was a kid I loved I dream of genie and the 6 million dollar man uh because I loved anything that involved ESP and magical powers what percentage of that is a uh, retconning of history kayfabe thing of crafting his own mythology. And the reason why I ask that is because, you know, I would be inclined to think that it was completely invented, that, you know, it's just a retconning to, to create this origin story for him. But also, 
there's also a scenario in which that actually makes a ton of sense. And he did love that stuff. And that's the reason why he fell into the trajectory of this whole psychic medium thing. And the second thing, which was the observation is, it's funny to me that, and I I understand why it's it's effective and people hear that and they buy into it. But from my perspective, I see that. And rather than that edifying to me that he was destined to be a psychic medium or that he had some sort of like unrealized uh, potential that he ended up, you know, discovering that he had these powers – Rather than that, it almost to me is like the opposite, where it almost makes it suspicious. It's like, wait a minute. So you're telling me you were obsessed with ESP and psychic stuff when you were a kid, and then you ended up becoming a psychic? It It's it's almost as if like you just were really into this thing, and then it inspired you to start this grift. Like that, that, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't read as, oh, he had, he had this latent ability that he didn't fully realize, but those shows evoked it to him, and he, he, he there was something about them that he was attracted to. To me, it's more like, oh, whenever I was a kid, I was really into monsters and uh, robots and aliens. And now, as an adult, I like to make stuff about monsters and robots and aliens because I was interested in that shit when I was a kid. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. I could see, especially because he's not... You know, I, I could see it as a little bit of both. I think there's some truth in that kayfabe and also some fucking kayfabe to kind of, you know, construct a narrative. Um, and I, I think the real skill, though, is not actually having psychic abilities. It's being a cold reader. Like that's so if anybody doesn't know the way psychic mediums um, kind of pull the wool over people's eyes or do the song and dance tap tap dance routine to make it look like they have psychic powers is by this method called cold reading um and uh we're going to kind of break down some some of the, some of the core attributes there's like six attributes that you kind of need to do in order to cold read somebody um uh, uh for the record a lot of this this specific information is from uh a youtuber called observe and he's a somebody who kind of breaks down a lot of cold reading and mentalism techniques um but the first thing you need to do is you need to um you need to find somebody who believes so that's why you'll often see a lot of psychics throwing out these very you know kind of basic but far-reaching questions that are meant to attract people that might have a latent belief in the supernatural um or you know it it often seems like they're just randomly picking somebody out of a crowd when you see someone cold read but they're really doing this kind of thing where they're hedging their bets where they're picking an area in the room or they're picking a certain type of person that they think might be willing to believe and then they kind of go after that that area or that type of person and it's usually they're usually they're very rarely like uh you spapa spicy i'm going to pick you and i'm going to cold read you it's usually like a general area oh, i'm getting a feeling from this area of the room so that they usually have an intended target, but if that intended target isn't particularly reciprocal, they can kind of, oh, it's actually this person. Uh, and there's kind of a dance that that happens with a lot of cold readers where they're, they're working from directions in the room initially, and then they start narrowing it down. Uh, the key thing and the second attribute to cold reading is this thing called Barnum statements. Um, cold readers or purported psychics or mentalists, they use the this idea of a Barnum statement to ask questions that it seems like a general statement, but it's actually very specific to an individual. Um, so like, you know, if you're a student, they might say like, oh, I'm getting a sense that there's a lot of kind of things changing or you're very stressed or there's some upheaval happening because, you know, people early in their lives, there's lots of constant change and things and shifting and moving. Or if he's dealing with an older person, the psychic might say something like, I'm getting the sense that you've experienced some sort of loss or there's someone you're not able to talk to anymore or there's a loved one that's that's died, um, which is like such a, you know, far range of uh, potential spectrum of what that could be. But it's so general. Uh, it's so general that it could be anything, but it's so but it feels specific to the person. It's also something that you that a person would want to claim about themselves or want to identify with. And and if and anybody is familiar with that concept, if you've ever taken one of those like 
quizzes on social media, like a BuzzFeed quiz or like one of those personality tests or whatever, because they basically give you a result where like whatever the thing is, it's something that anybody would want to identify with. And so you look, you read the result and you're like, yeah, that is me. I am self-sacrificing to a fault where I put other people's happiness above myself. Literally anybody would want to identify with that. So because it's like it, it it says that you're a good person and it also allows you to like accept this level of like of like um, martyrdom or um, or like put uponness that you that you are uh, that, that, that you are like victimized by the world in some way. And it's that exact same thing that the things that they say are things that you would want to identify with. The next thing that they do is they use a combination of Barnum statements and recap statements in conjunction. So if I'm like, I'm getting the sense that someone over here has children, and then Spandrew puts his hand up and I'm like, oh, do you do you have children? And then Spandrew would say, yes, I have three children. And then they go, oh, I'm getting the sense that the children don't talk to someone in, their, in your family. And you're like, oh, yeah, they don't actually talk to my great aunt Tilly because she just passed on. And then they're like, I'm getting the sense that great aunt Tilly was from around here or maybe not from around here. And then Andrew or Spandrew would say, oh, you're right. Great aunt Tilly is from, you know, Wisconsin. And so you use this kind of dance of you're saying these big, broad statements and then you're repeating exactly the inf- only the information that the person has told you, but with little wiggle room areas. And you're kind of like carving out specific topics or subjects that seem to be important to the 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 you know the readee, and as this goes, you start building a narrative. With, it's almost a game of improv where one party doesn't know they're playing a game of improv. The funny thing is that if somebody said that to me, even if it was technically true, I would go out of my way to contradict it. Like if somebody was like, "Oh, I'm getting the sense that one of your that your children, there's somebody in your family that, that they don't talk to," I would be like, "Oh, that's that's interesting because you know every day." At 3 p.m., we sit down and I make the kid, I make my kids call every single one of our family members and talk to each of them at least for two minutes. And I even have them just to just to cover bases. I even have them like talk to the spouses of their family, the you know, or the or anybody who happens to be in the house at the moment. I just make them. I mean, it literally takes the whole day. Like from the from 3 p.m. until midnight, we are on the phone calling every single member of our family. It's exhausting. But it's interesting that you say that because I just don't I don't know about that. Uh, and that would be the moment where they would be like, oh, actually, maybe it's not you that I'm supposed to talk. I'm getting an energy feeling from and then they would put to the person next to you or the person next to that. I'd be like, that's that's so weird because that's my uncle and my father. And I and I happen to know that I. At midnight, I actually go to their houses and I sit down and we do the same exact process. And we're up until five in the morning. Yeah, it's a family tradition. Yeah. The, and the reason why this system of kind of Barnum statements and recap statements ends up kind of lulling people into a false sense of security is because of a thing called the DRM paradigm. Uh, the way that works is there's been a bunch of um, studies where if you list a bunch of words, the brain is always looking for ways to link information and fill in gaps. So if you list a bunch of words like um, uh, tired, drowsy, um, nap, and uh, hungry, your brain is going to be like, when you, if you're asked to regurgitate that information back, you have to say how many of those things can you remember, somebody will be like, nap, drowsy, sleep, tired. Um, you're, you're always looking like the human brain is always looking to course correct the narrative back into something that makes an orderly sense. And so because of that, when you're doing Barnum statements and recap statements and kind of extracting information from somebody, their brain is trying to order things to fit a narrative. Like it's looking for any excuse to find a story within the kind of dialogue that you're having with this person that will make sense of what the person is telling you because mediums and psychics are typically telling you the end of a story that's looking for a a, a beginning and a middle 
you know, so, oh, Uncle George is dead, but he wants you to know he's fine. I don't have an Uncle George. Is it Uncle Georgina? Oh, my God, Georgina. No, but it's it. But my 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 aunt Georgie, she, blah, 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 blah. you know, so you're constantly looking. I believe it's called I believe it's called Trebeking. <laughs> Trebeking. Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, the fourth um, the fourth way that psychics and mediums uh, use cold reading is they're constantly um, kind of changing the meaning of their words. They use kind of loose language that allows them to reorient what they're saying. Uh, so they kind of go off of the reader, the readee, and are kind of like shifting what they're saying to fit the narrative. So names are usually not brought out until the person that's being kind of cold read brings a name. And then, then the, the person, the psychic, will feed off that, but never the other way around. Like, it's never somebody walking up to him being like, I'm here to talk to you about Grandpa Bob. And they're like, oh, my God, what? How did you know that his name was Bob? Well, the, the example you used just a second ago was was an example of that because you when you, you said like, oh, your kids, I, I sense that they don't speak to somebody. And in my mind, I'm thinking that means that, like, they don't talk to one of our family members because we've had a falling out or whatever. But then you said, oh, they passed away. And that, that that's a that's a that's a different interpretation of I of not speaking to somebody. Um, the other, so the, similar to Barnum statements and, uh, recap statements, there's, you know, changing a meaning of things and then there's guaranteed phrasing. So sometimes they use statements of fact to help undergird their statements that are unrelated to what's happening that are either pulled from the individual they're reading or that are just like not at all related. Like they'll just bring up a piece of artwork or a piece of music or, or a movie and be like, did somebody like that? Did somebody love the Beatles? I'm getting, I'm hearing the Beatles for some reason. And then they're like, oh my God, Grandpa George loved the Beatles. And it's like, oh wow, yeah. So it it helps to lull the reader, the reedy into a, you know, kind of a sense of security with the medium. See, that would be a ter- I would be a terrible medium because I'd be like, I'm getting the sense that somebody really loved sleepy time gorilla museum that right somebody i feel like i'm sensing that somebody loved sleepy time gorilla museum did did does anybody does anybody love royal trucks no no oh does any does anybody love john barry's seminal 1979 walt disney classic the black holes soundtrack I'm getting the sense that they may have had the 24-page read-along book that came with a 33 and a third RPM 45. Is there anyone in your life like that? Vincent, does that mean anything to you? I, I feel like somebody that you know is a massive fan of Wes Borland, the guitarist from Limp Biscuits' side project, Big Dumbface, which is a cartoon death metal project. Um, I'm, I'm hearing... I'm hearing like like German industrial music, but it's not actual German industrial music. I think it's I think it's Alkali Trio's lead singer Matt Skiba's side project Heavens. Does he does he does Heavens mean anything to you? Little little leather gloves? Does that mean anything to you? I'm sensing that somebody that you know really loves 433 by John Cage, the performance where multiple musicians go up on stage and then just sit not playing anything. How did you know? Grandpa John loves John Cage. So the the final piece of this, the sixth kind of rule of uh, medium reading or cold reading is uh, you just never take responsibility. Never call into question your own skill. You're always the authority. It's either the spirits are being unclear, the energy in the room is bad, the reedy is being uncooperative. Uh, you always want to preserve your own authority because you're just a messenger. You're just you're just a conduit for these larger forces, and um, you can see all of those once you once you know what you're looking for. It's pretty apparent how cold reading works. Yeah. See, once again, if I was if I was a psychic medium, because I've seen those I've seen those videos where uh, a psychic medium will get something wrong or get called out or something will contradict them. And they use the excuse of like the energy is bad in the room. Uh, you know, James Heydrich did that whole thing where he said like the electricity from the air conditioning was interfering with his psychic abilities or whatever. But if me, if I was a psychic medium and I got something wrong or whatever, or somebody like contradicted what I say, what I would say was I was like, 
yeah, my, my powers aren't working properly right now because you're being a little bitch. I think it's because you're being a little bitch. That's the problem. You're being a little bitch. My 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 psychic powers aren't working right now because um the vibe ain't right, bruh. The the psych my psychic powers are in flux right now due to um you being a fucking prick. Get off my dingus. My my powers are just not really working right now because it's not that serious. Touch some grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh so yeah, those are the techniques that John Edward used. Uh, or uses, I guess, to this day, uh, to purport his ability of of being a psychic, um, a psychic medium, and um, it's it's interesting because I feel like in the late two thousands or, or late nineties and early two thousands, you know that that stuff had kind of fallen away. You know, mediumship had kind of fallen out of cultural favor, and then for whatever reason, he, Miss Cleo, you know, some other kind of people of their ilk. They just kind of had a big resurgence, you know. They they had a little moment, and uh, John Edward seized on his moment and got a TV show out of it called Crossing Over with John Edward, uh, which is pretty fucking weird. And I've watched some episodes of it, like back in the day. I watched them when. Yeah, me too. Me too. Let's go to this uh, first Utube clip. Superstar psychic mediums. So this is gonna be. Uh, so you feel like you. Char Margolis and John Edward on the. Katie Couric's short-lived daytime talk show. Audience. Were there two or three people in the accident, but one survived? <laughs> I'm at loss for words right now. Oh my God. Yeah. That's wow. creepy. You just had a breakup. Is she bipolar or chemically oh imbalanced? God. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Plus, Katie's own psychic experience. It made me think, huh, but maybe. Maybe. <laughs> So the thing that's really interesting is like these daytime talk shows are obviously still a thing, but um, at this point in the 90s and early 2000s, I feel like they were much more culturally relevant because obviously culture was more vertical, less streaming, all that good stuff. Um, but this is basically how John Edward made his name for himself. He would go on this, Good Morning America, uh, you know, ABC, whatever, insert your news. Like they, this is how they kind of started their sideshow act is by writing books, doing daytime talk shows, and doing speaking events. Certainly believe they can, and their abilities have in fact made them world famous. Life after death is something few claim to understand, and some don't even believe in. But psychic mediums John Edward and Char Margolis are turning skeptics into believers every day. I'm feeling from him a level of fast passing. Over the last 25 years, John's uncanny accuracy with predicting future events and connecting those who have crossed over has led to two internationally syndicated talk shows. No, actually, uh, the thing about that is that he was actually he was actually killed by being uh, eaten by a sarlacc. So he's actually he was actually slowly digested while still alive over a course of months and seven New York Times bestsellers. Meanwhile, Char's gift came to her like a scene out of The Sixth Sense. I see dead people. <laughs> at just eight years old, she saw a spirit for the first time standing at the end of her bed. Years later, she catapulted to fame when she famously predicted Kelly Ripa's pregnancy on live TV. She's also shown me another baby. <laughs> Is that a yes? Uh -oh. I haven't told my boss yet. Over their combined careers, they have helped millions of people around the globe. And Shar and John, welcome. Nice Thank to you have you us. both. Good to see you. Really. So, so Shar, you know, we saw. I love the idea that like may maybe there's some kind of subtle ways that she could have recognized that she was pregnant, but I love the idea that it was just a total shot in the dark. And she was like, I got nothing to lose. Either I'm wrong and just fucking nothing. Or if I get this right, I'm set for life, baby. Career made, baby. And <laughs> she got it right. And she was like, holy fuck, mama's back, baby. 
And she just had like a fucking crazy party that night. She just like did a bunch of coke and she just like fucking chugging like beer bongs. And she's like, my fuck, I'm, this shit is, I'm fucking set. I'm fucking set. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, the, um, it's a pretty standard route. You know, you take your act on the road, gain some fans, move to the next level. And the next level for him was crossing over with, with John Edward. Um, let's just see what this next link is. I don't remember what this next one is. And then if it's something weird, then we'll do the 9-11 show. Which- Today on Crossing Over, sometimes the other side surprises even John. They show me pink roses, um, and they're making me feel like that's their way of expressing their love to you. But I got to tell you, I'm seeing a blue rose, which is a completely new symbol for me. What does this new symbol mean? Plus, Anthony Esposito. That's my grandfather's name. Where are they from? Oh Brooklyn. That's where they're from. Find out if these gallery members are John's long-lost relatives. You are about to experience what millions have witnessed. John Edward reunites people in the physical world with those who have crossed over. See, that's what you do. That would be the perfect grift, where you go and you're like a psychic medium, but every time that somebody ever says anything, like they'll, they'll you'll just be like, well, what was your, what was your grandpa's name? Or no, like what, or whatever. And then they're just like, they say that and they're like, oh my God, that's my grandpa. And then you just like hire an actor who just to play your grandpa. And then they just have to like play your grandpa forever. And it becomes this weird synecdoche New York thing where you just, every time you go and you do a psychic reading, the way that you do it is just by like inventing a person and claiming that they're connected to that person in some way. And then you just start hiring all these actors. And then eventually you have all these family members that you just have to like have living real lives in, in, in reality that you can go and like talk to if you wanted to. And eventually you just have this massive family of people that you just have to pay to just pretend like they're these people that you've invented. You think I'm going to say no? Let's do it. That sounds fun to me. That sounds great. For all you know, it's already happening. That's true. That's true. Uh, All right, let's watch this next clip because this will be the one where we'll do all the breakdown of gold reading. I want to thank you guys for coming out and being a part of the show today. And I always say this. You guys are the show. All right, here we go. Okay. He's walking very quickly. So I'm being pulled this way. So it might extend past whoever you came with and shoot down here. So I need you guys to listen as well. Um, I need to acknowledge that there is a male figure here who has crossed to the side, which is husband or brother, which means I've got a male figure to the side here who has crossed. That's got to be a husband or brother, except from here, going down here. So you lost a husband? As your husband is coming through, he wants to acknowledge that he has either your brother or his brother with him, okay? There's a a brother figure that's there. I also want to acknowledge that September is significant for the family, okay? He's making me feel like I should say 28. He's making me feel like the 29th. The end of a month has to be significant as well. Maybe not September, but the end of another month is significant. His birthday. Weird Barnum statement choice there. Uh, Now, there's a war song that he wants me to bring up. So I don't know if there's a special connection that you have with him from a wartime song. Um, but there's a war reference here, like a war song. Like, do you know the song, You Were Always In My Heart? Yeah, we, oh my God, always in my heart. What does that mean? Dead on his graveside, always in my heart. Those exact words. Okay, because I actually have, I was listening to that song this morning in my car because it was a song that reminded me of my grandmother and my grandfather. And I looked at that and I'm thinking, why am I listening to that today? Now I know why. And he's telling me to acknowledge the person who ran the meat store or the person who worked in food or they did something with food because I've got a food feeling like I feel like I'm actually slicing meat in a deli or something. I feel like I've got that connection. Who worked with the food? Who worked with meat or sliced in a deli or did this? They can still be here. Well, I used to have a dessert catering business. Did he help you with this? No, but not really. This has to be somebody who's in meat. Specifically, what they're showing me is prosciutto. Where's the CR? Like Carmine, Karen, Chris? See, right there, he hit a dead end, so he's just pivoting to a different topic. Okay. It's that family that we're probably going to be acknowledging that last statement to as well. Now, let me just say, okay. (laughs) Now, you're not related to her husband? Mm -mm. Okay. But you must have known him because he's telling me to say hello to you. Yeah. Hi. (laughs) I think I'm coming to you. You've got the S connections on the other side because it's coming through from him. I'm supposed to tell you that your father's there as well. Uh-huh. He's telling me to, you know? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was going to be obviously about to argue with like, yes, he is. No, no, um, no, no, no. That was like. 
Okay, because this man's telling me to acknowledge that your father is there. I'm also going to tell you that there's a connection to somebody listening to, this is my musical section, there's a connection to um, a male opera singer. There's a connection to something with male opera. I'm hearing loud opera voice, whether it be Mario Lanza or Pavarotti, Placido, I don't know what this is, um, Josh Groban, but there's like a male voice loud. Is it for her? It's here. It's my here. father listened to Andre Bocelli a lot. The, like, okay. the frequency of the way he speaks is very unnerving to me. Yeah, and also the, the the little subtle thing he did where he was like, "You're you're somebody passed," and she's like, she 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 meant she she like shook her head and went, mm. and I guess she meant like agreeing with him and like kind of like a I'm feeling it, but he thought he was like no, and then she's like no yes, and then only after she confirmed that it was true did he be like, oh, because I was about to say yes he is, like if she had said no he would have been like he would have moved on but once she confirmed it was true then he like retroactively pretended like he was very certain about it that it's as if somebody made a song or a cassette or a cd of music to remind me of dad like that kind of that I kind of stuff that. okay my brother did it now mom is also crossed no well really not since i've talked to her <laughs> No, I think that what he's trying... Let me just say this. Was he married before? No. Okay. See, because he just did it. He just did it. He he put out the vague thing that her mom also was dead, and then she was like, no, and then he was like, oh, okay, and then he moved on. The scenario at hand is just like, in in some ways, it's it's really impressive that you can orchestrate this type of dance where you're fishing for little pieces of information and knitting together a story on the fly convincing somebody that this is tailor-made to them. I mean, there's no doubt that it's a there's no doubt that it's a super impressive skill. Like the, there's no denying that that what he does is like is like impressive. It's also just like morally reprehensible and fucking weird and like he's just like preying on the emotions of people who are mourning. And it's also, I mean, it, it, it and the, the other thing is like it's more than just saying vague things that could apply to a lot of people. I also feel like with, even with some of the more specific things, you know, like saying making a mixtape or a mix CD for somebody, it's also like playing within the information gap where a lot of people don't realize that everybody are very similar. And like a lot of people within certain cultures do the exact same things. It's the same reason why memes work. Like memes relatable memes that the, the whole point of them is they point out a hyper specific thing that you thought only was just a thing that happened in your mind that in actuality everybody experiences but it's not vague or general it's very specific but that's because we all just think and behave the same way yeah and also that you know the hyper specific just is universal like even if it's not a factual thing you know everyone's felt alone or abandoned or sad or everyone has a weird relationship with their parents even if they don't they have a weird relationship with your parents because humans are flawed because humans are flawed but also everybody makes mixtapes and mix cds and, and like things as specific as that i don't know if they do anymore but they definitely did yeah well i mean, I just i mean whenever before now or that's not a thing anymore but before that like every everybody does that specific thing or everybody did that specific thing. Yeah, let's uh, let's go on to this last. There's basically just one more, um, one more clip uh, where he's going to talk about scamming, the thing that we were just talking about, and then we're going to have our kind of wrap up discussion. I wonder how do you deal with that because that in itself must be quite confronting. You want the real honest answer? I don't really care. It's the it's the. It's the thick skin thing that you have to have when you make the choice to do this. Once I wound up doing books and doing radio and then doing TV, it became something that I was like, oh, wow, people, wow, that, that, was, that was mean. Like, wow, that was like a mean statement. And then I recognized, well, wait a second, let's back up. You were kind of like that person. You were that person making fun of the people coming to your grandmother's house. So what do you say to yourself now? So when I look back on that, I go, well, I was coming from a place of not understanding what it was that existed. Then the flip opposite, because I'm a Libra, so I can do that. The flip opposite of me was going, well, wait a minute. Some of those people that came to your grandmother's house were totally full of you know, BS because you could pick apart their readings. And 
So I was going, I, I, I did, I had this duality of it and I never lost it. I kept it. I've kept it 30 years into doing this. John, have you ever felt exploitative or manipulative? Never. Never. Absolutely never. So even when you see people are, are grieving, you don't feel that in some way that you're being too invasive, intrusive? Absolutely not. Well, the, from one of the first things I'll tell people is if you're in that need of a reading, like if somebody's in dire, like I need a reading, it's gonna fix me, I actually tell them that a medium is not what they, what they need. They need a counselor. They need to, a medium is not a therapist. And a, a reading is no means in any shape or form should be looked at as therapy. I think it could be very helpful and it could show that there is something else. It could show that there is something else. But I think the person has to honor that journey of their grief. Absolutely 100%. And I could, I could say that from personal experience. Like when I lost my mom, I was 19. That was a really pivotal moment for me. My work shifted as a result of that. And it wasn't like having readings, like people reading me that helped me, it was actually doing them for complete strangers and seeing that validation that, that helped me on my journey. Your industry though, there is a proportion of people that are out to, to perhaps scam and manipulate people. How do you, if you have to anyway, how do you convince people that that is not the, the type of work that you deal with? I don't try. I think it's, I think it's important and people don't really understand when I say this, I think it's important for people to poke holes. I think it's important for people to be skeptical. I think it's important for people to ask the questions. I think it's important for people to start the dialogue. I don't think it's okay for people to do those things and character assassinate. That I have a problem with. Like when somebody tries to assess my motivation or they try to tell me why I do what I do, or they just make accusatory statements like fraud, con man, you know, biggest douche of the universe, you name it, you say it, you call it. I mean, it is what it is. It's like, and I just go, okay, I've never ever attacked somebody who's an atheist or an or a agnostic or a cynic. I've never attacked them for not having a belief system. I've never called them a name. I've never like said, oh, you're this, you're, I just say, okay, if you don't believe it, it's okay. Do you feel the burden of your responsibility? That's funny you should say that. I do. I actually feel I feel a, a, not just for me, but for the subject matter. When I see a lot of what's on TV and I see a lot of the way the subject matter is sometimes portrayed, it makes me very uncomfortable. Can you give me an example? Are you talking like shows like The Mentalist or something like that? No, or? a scripted show I'm okay with. I'm okay with shows that are scripted because I think we can be forgiving with shows like that. But so when, you mean reality type yep. shows? I have a problem with that. I do. I think that when when things are, are overly produced, it skews what the reality of something could be. And when we did Crossing Over, I was a nightmare for TV people to work with. They did not enjoy their experience working with me because I didn't allow anything to be edited out of sequence. They couldn't, you know, things had to be put together in a certain way so that it was real. And I would say to them, I go, listen, you have 200 people sitting in a room. They know what happened you have to be realistic like you can't go produce something that's not what their experience was i have some friends who lost a brother in the bali bombings and that was when they started to reach out and go to psychic re it's all i mean it's it's a it's a clever position to take everything that he just said it's a very it's a very clever position to take yeah it's very media trained i've been through uh mock interviews and i've been doing this for a long time and i know where the pitfalls are and I, and I think maybe that really is what it is. It's like, because uh, you see some of like the older psychic mediums, the ones that were going on TV in like the 70s and 80s, and they aren't very good at responding to like criticisms or skepticism. They get like really defensive and they start and they and they are there. They do the things that he's saying he doesn't do, which is like start insulting the person or trying to like act like they're being an asshole or whatever. And I mean, I guess it's working for them because they were able to have a career or whatever. But for me, it just seems like, oh, you you're just you're seeming like you're backed into a corner and you're just like not very good at responding to like holes being poked in what you're doing. Um, but he's like the opposite of that. He's like very cunning. Yeah. And uh, it's a weird thing where, you know, for me, I see 
I can see the like wolf eyes in that interview. You know, like every other thing he was saying, I was like, mm-hmm. And now he's going to go, mm-hmm. And then he'll, mm-hmm. You know, like he doesn't get defensive. He thinks uh, skeptics are positive. He thinks it's a real responsibility. He doesn't, uh, you know, everything in there that he's talking about is the, he's trying to minimize the whatever opportunities there are to make himself look less than reputable. You know, I'm a normal person. I like and it's also it's also more than that too. It's not just about seeming reputable and like not coming off like a huckster. It's also just the willingness to be very calm and collected when discussing your thing with skeptical people and people who don't believe you because your goal isn't to prove them wrong. Your goal is to just get in front of people and be able to talk about your thing to more and more people. So it doesn't behoove you to get to become argumentative and combative and defensive. It behooves you to just sit there and grin and take every criticism so you can just continue sitting there seeming like a calm person and exposing your ideology or your grift to a, a bunch of new people. Because even if even if that person is like this isn't a good example of it because the 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 interviewer is not being combative, but something like you know like that Jim Jeffries show where he like just gets people on and interviews like gets like gets like queuing on people and like just goes after their beliefs and like embarrasses them, like all they have to do is just sit there and take that, and even if. Jim Jeffries thinks he's totally destroying and owning these people. There's people watching who don't care about that and they hear what the people are saying and they're like, hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's siphoning, siphoning off the the true believers, right? Like, you know, you're not going to reach 90 percent of people. You're trying to get to the 10 percent of people that might want to give you money, um, which is interesting because I feel like in some ways, the like mass media apparatus that he's using to do some of that stuff, TV shows, books, whatever, is the opposite of like when mediums first started to rise in popularity. Um, you know, I think there's a pretty strong corollary between the spiritual movement of like the 1920s and the kind of disillusion, disillusionment culturally in the U.S. of uh, organized religion post World War One. It's like this is a horrible tragedy. How could this have happened? What God would let this happen? And then people experience grief and lot grief and loss, and then they start seeking out solutions in other places. And you have hucksters and sideshow freaks and mediums preying on people's uh, preying on people's you know sadness and and longing for their loved ones, and they're milking money out of them. And you know you have the that corollary of the rise of mediums at that point compared to in two thousand one. I think our culture was going through a very similar thing. It reacted very differently because of the 9-11 attacks. But I don't think it's an accident that that stuff is brimming up through the culture at the same time as multiple psychics are rising in popularity. And ultimately, John Edward gets a TV show from 2001 to 2004, which is like the peak neocon post 9-11 era, you know. Yeah, we call that we call that era Toby Keith's Playground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Toby Keith's Playground, yeah. Um, in fact, it's uh, there's actually a, there was a 9-11 special filmed where John Edward went and talked to a bunch of people whose loved ones had died during 9-11, unbeknownst to him that, and like the producers had like gathered a bunch of these people and they were going to like, you know, have this episode that was going to be a 9-11 special. And then people found out about it and started like, calling the tv station production company whatever sending letters and it ultimately got pulled because everyone was like this is in bad taste we we don't mind being passively comforted slash exploited but we don't want to have you like literally making money off of the 9-11 like hashtag 9-11 you know um which is also really interesting and weird not that i want him to have done that but it's weird that that was a step it's interesting that that was a step too far you know where people were just like no we can't deal with this I would have rather seen Jerry Lewis's 9-11 telethon. He's <laughs> just like pissed off and grumpy the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's basically the story of John Edward because he's still out here doing it today. He's got a book. 
He's doing, he's got multiple books. He's got, you know, he had a second TV show after the one that we were just watching. Um, had some specials. He's over, he's around the internet. His daughter is like an actor now on some like fairly mainstream TV shows, which is interesting. His daughter is Zendaya. His daughter is Zendaya. How did I, how did you not know? Or how did you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, these, these types of figures, it's, it's interesting and frustrating because, um, they're, they're uniquely insulated from any kind of like consequences to what they do, really. Like, as much as it's awful the way that they exploit vulnerable people, you know, John Edward or, you know, people we've talked about in the past, like Jay Z Knight and, um, less Miss Cleo because she was kind of hired to do a job, but she was complicit in it. But people more like Jay Z Knight or, or or some or a lot of the people that we talked about in the QAnon episode, or these sort of like religious um, con artist people, the people that get up on the stage and then they bring people up and they tell them that they're going to heal their cancer or you know, make them walk again if they're in a wheelchair, and they do that whole weird thing where they like hit them on the head and then they pass out and they speak in tongues and all that shit. Um, It's unique. These things are all uniquely insulated from actual consequences because like it's all tied up in like religious freedom and the ambiguity of our lack of understanding and knowledge of the world beyond the physical, you know? Um, It's just really hard to pin any of this stuff to any kind of like legally actionable thing like fraud or, you know, extortion or anything like that. Uh, and so, you know, the, these, these people are frequently able to just live their entire lives and kind of just, it's openly known to like a bunch of people or even most people that they're just grifters and con artists, but they are able to just in that ambiguity of the, of religious freedom and the lack of knowledge of the afterlife, um, or lack thereof, you can't, there's nothing you can do about it, you know? So they just, they just, they just keep doing it. And it's, and it's, and it's uniquely insulated away from any kind of criticism because anybody who is like, this person is blatantly a con artist. Here's the X, Y, Z reason. Let's break down all of the ways in which psychic mediums scam you or whatever, like we just did. We're just fucking, we're, we're, we're just like, we don't get it. We don't know. We don't understand. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately the, it's, it's, Ultimately, it's really hard because it's almost like there is no moral to this story because we're still living the moral, which is we need to not do this. We need to all come together and be like psychics aren't fucking real. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think there are unexplainable phenomena and I'm I'm not even necessarily like completely opposed to the idea of psychic phenomena as an inherent thing, you know. Uh, but this this guy ain't it. This guy fucking ain't it. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily either, but one thing I'm pretty sure I do know is that if there is psychic phenomena, number one, it's probably not focused enough to where you could wield it like a fucking craft. And I, and I really don't think that anybody who is experiencing that would, I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say that they wouldn't try to monetize it because I don't think that's necessarily true, but I just don't think that the type of person who would experience that genuine, if there was real psychic phenomenon and somebody was was experiencing it, I don't think that they are the type of person who turns it into this fucking empire of, you know, and a, and a brand. I just don't think that those, those two people are the same. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, I think my final thoughts are that hopefully when people listen to this, they come away with a little bit of vocabulary to describe what they're feeling when watching someone do cold reading, you know, once you understand what a Barnum statement it is, is it's pretty revelatory in terms of unlocking or decoding that act that someone is doing. Um, I also hope that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I guess he's not really hurting anybody. He's just exploiting people, which fucking sucks. But there's worse things that could happen to people, I guess. I don't know. That's not, I don't even really believe that. Like it's, it's it's feels gross what he's doing, um, but um, yeah, it's 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 one of the it's one of those it's one of those like lesser devil things. It's like like what you just said. Like if I had the choice between hanging out with John Edward and a Nazi, I would hang out with John Edward. But that doesn't mean that I like him. I think that's the thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I kind of would want to hang out with John Edward just to like 
see I want to see in person his vibe or his aura of like late night closing shift subway manager you know I'm Dave Baker and I'm Spandrew Spice this has been Deep Cuts if you'd like to find me on the internet you could do so at heydavebaker.com or uh, you can find me on the socials at xdavebakerx please actually I have two things to promote today no Dave only one god damn it I gotta choose Uh, so I got two things fuck you uh, two things to promote. I got a book, which I talk about usually at the end of every episode. I like how you wouldn't you wouldn't acknowledge my Irish cop and Italian office worker bit. You just wouldn't acknowledge it. But you had to actually play into the kayfabe. You didn't just move on and start talking about your two things. You had to play into the kayfabe and say, fuck you. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> uh, so I got I got two things. One. My book, Mary Tyler Moorhawk from Top Shelf Productions, is available now for pre-order. It's basically what if Buckaroo Banzai and House of Leaves got crossed. Half of it's comics, half of it's prose. Some of it takes place 100 years in the future about a journalist trying to figure out what happened to the uh, reclusive creator of a TV show that was adapted from the comics that you're reading in the comic. It's crazy. It's kooky. You'll like it. You'll love it. Pre-order five. One for you, one for every one of your family members. Also, drum roll, currently on Big Bad Toy Store, you can uh, pre-order a, an action figure uh, of one of my characters. Uh, my book, Halloween Boy, uh, is getting a toy. Halloween Boy himself is showing up in uh, an independent toy line called Operation Monster Force uh, by Fresh, Mon- Fresh Monkey Fiction. It's available now for... Uh, $33.99, I think. I don't remember the exact price. I should know that. Um, 20 points of articulation, 6-inch figure. It's a full injection-molded toy, 20 points of articulation. Um, comes with uh, multiple accessories, two forty-five pistols, an M16, a giant flaming sword with Dracula's head on it. Um, I'm very, very excited about it. I can't believe that it's going to be real. And cold reading action. He comes with cold reading action. Yeah. Uh, so you can just go on, uh, you can go on bigbadtoystore.com, um, search Halloween Boy or Operation Monster Force Halloween Boy. You'll find it. Uh, in fact, today and yesterday, Halloween Boy was on the front page of Big Bad Toy Store, which I was pretty thrilled about. That was pretty surreal to see. Um, so yeah, those are my books. Those are my toys. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me in a, I'm sensing a living room. Is that right? And maybe there's like, maybe there's a, there's a, there's some kind of R, maybe like there, there's like an R or an A or a B or a C or a D or an E or an F or a G or an H or an I or a J or a K or an L or an M or an N or a P or an O or a Q or an R or an S or a T or a U or a V or an X or a Y or a Z. There's some letter. One of those letters is involved. So it's some object with one of those letters attached to it. Um, but that's where I'll be. Um, and you can't find me on social media because I don't use social media. Uh, but if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved Papa Price, you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, by going to dapricerights.com. You can also follow us on social media by searching on Facebook, Deep Cuts Podcast. Join the Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. We talk about the show and make memes and hang out. You can also join our Discord server by going to bit.ly.com slash deepcutsdiscord where we talk about the show, make memes, play games, and other stuff. You can follow us on Instagram at deepcutspod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can follow me on TikTok at deadboydetective. You can go to our shop, deepcutspod.com. Click on the shop. You can get hats, t-shirts, bags with cool deep cuts graphics on them. And uh, you can watch our new show coming fall 2024 um, crossing the great divide with Spandrew and Dave.